glory to God. So happy to be here with you tonight. Thank you for worshiping the Lord with your tithe and offerings. It belongs to him, as Pastor Ray uh, mentioned to us. I am happy you're here. I, I feel tonight that the Lord has uh, used our worship team so beautifully, and we do welcome back uh, Thais to be with us tonight. It's so great to have her from our partner and friend congregation, Shimon Sasson, and we had Yael back with us tonight. It was awesome to have Yael back. Uh, she and I both had gotten caught in different travel uh, challenges that the world is posing right now, so great to have her home as well. But we, we really had a banquet tonight, just a, just a, a big uh, banquet of the Lord to connect and, and take part of in worship and in the, in the, in the, in the, the singing of the word and then the, the, the reading of the word. Eliana really did a, such a wonderful job. Great to hear the word of God in Hebrew as well. And then I hope that this next section of time in the scriptures is another part of the banquet table for you tonight. So let me just take a moment. While you're turning in your Bibles to the opening passage, the main text of this series, Matthew chapter 25, I'm going to give you a moment to to turn there and get your finger in place while I welcome uh, everyone in the house tonight. So happy to be here with you, Uh, happy to have health in the room, praise the Lord. We also want to welcome everybody watching online tonight, King's Community Live and Facebook Live, YouTube and all the other platforms. Welcome tonight. We do have guests watching from Austria and Bolivia, Canada, Colombia, Denmark, Finland, France, Germany, Hungary, India, Malaysia, all over Israel, of course, the Netherlands, Philippines, Poland, Sicily, Singapore, Slovakia, South Africa, South Korea, Spain, Sweden, Switzerland, Taiwan, Tanzania is watching tonight. Welcome from Tanzania, United Kingdom, and the United States. We're so happy all of you are with us tonight. It's a great honor. We also just want to take a moment to recognize and bless uh, Jonathan and Kayla and their baby that are here today. Great to see you guys. I was able to meet for the first time last week Jonathan and Chrissy's twin girls that they recently had, and, and um, we expect a wonderful Corona baby boom. Right? So like behind the scenes, you're like, oh, that we can only meet in, in, in so many numbers and so many rooms and all this stuff. Yeah, but behind the scenes, we're working hard to fix the nursery and the children's program because we're about to have a mad rush of the Corona baby boom. We're excited for it. Thank you, guys. I see you back there. Uh, Jonathan and Chris, you're one of our deacon couples. We have Tim and Martha here tonight as well. Vivian's here. A lot of our leaders. Bless you guys. So happy to have you. Um, we need to pray for Pastor Wayne. Okay, so for those of you that that didn't hear, Pastor Wayne uh, does need our prayers physically as well. He's had uh, a few things. He's in Canada at the moment recovering, so let's be in prayer for Pastor Wayne. And after the the message tonight, we're going to get back into the habit of praying together. Okay, we haven't been able to do that for a while, and if you're not comfortable with it, that's okay. We understand. We're all at kind of different places with our health and our and and and, and what we think and our and our and our stance and theories. And I get it. We we believe in you. We trust you. But some of you want prayer tonight, and you're in a place where you're like, I'd like to receive prayer. It's been a while, and so after the sermon tonight, we're going to make a few of our leaders available down front here that you can come and receive prayer. It's been a big week for us at the congregation. If you don't always 
uh, receive the newsletter, please go to our website, kkcj.org, sign up for our newsletter so that you get all of the information. For instance, yesterday we were able to immerse in water five new people. Praise the Lord. Many of them are here tonight. We took them down to the Jordan. We did an immersion. The media team is working on a little highlight video that we're going to show next Sunday so that you can just kind of see the tangible evidence of that. That's really following the commands of the Lord to preach the gospel, make disciples, immerse them in water, teach people the ways of the Lord. So we're excited. And then Wednesday night, another thing that you should have gotten in the newsletter, Wednesday night, up in the summit, we're going to have just a night of worship. Just come and soak in the Lord. Come and marinate in his presence. Let, let him permeate what you're doing and what you're going through, okay? But we will have prayer available after the conclusion of the service tonight. So if you want prayer, just be thinking about what you want prayer for. Last week, we kicked off a brand new series called The Least of These. We mentioned that Yeshua identified with a group that he called the least of these. Some that were poor, some that were sick, outcast, in prison, hungry, thirsty, naked. And Yeshua identified with these people because he himself had experienced this kind of treatment on earth. Yeshua, of course, did not amass wealth for himself like he could have. He lived a quite poor life. Traveling all the time, didn't have a place to lay of his head. He was outcast by society and by the religious. He was falsely accused and put in prison for his trial. He was certainly going through periods of hunger. Remember the fasting and then beyond that? There were times when he was thirsty, when he called out. There were times they stripped him of his clothes and beat him. So that we know that he was, he was naked as well. He identified with the least of these because he had experienced a lot of that. The Bible reminds us in the book of Hebrews chapter 4 that we don't have a high priest who knows nothing about what we go through, but rather we have the great high priest who knows what we went through and who has been tempted in every way that we've been tempted. So he connects with us. He identifies with the least of these. We mentioned last week that Because God, as the creating Father, knows our created destiny, that when he sees somebody in a low position, a position maybe they're homeless or they are jobless or they are under pressure, they have great challenges, maybe they're hungry, thirsty, he sees them in this temporary presentation because that's not who they really are. It's not who they will always be, and it's certainly not who he has called them to be in their destiny. So he sees past it. Just a similar way that he sees past our spiritual hunger, our spiritual thirst, our spiritual weakness. He sees past our sin, and he sees who we are truly called to be. And tonight I think the room is filled with believers in Yeshua who would say amen And thank you, Lord, that you see past my present presentation. I hope that I'm not all right now that I will be. That we are all on a journey one step at a time. And I hope tonight helps you to take one step forward. But we're thankful for this part of God's attributes. That he sees a temporary presentation because he knows the eternal destiny. Our main verse, Matthew 25, verse 40. The king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, 
you did for me. And in that phrase, he is identifying the family nature of his people, brothers, sisters, heirs of the father, co-heirs with Yeshua, sons, daughters of the king. He's identifying us as family. And one of our highlights that will happen throughout the series is we want to present to you a biblical basis for a pattern that God shows. And that is, he takes the lowly and he elevates them. That's just what he does. He takes us as sinners and he elevates us. Last week we talked about the least of these. We talked about the poor and the sick, those in prison, hungry, thirsty, homeless, naked. And he elevated them and he made them valuable in a time in history when they were not valuable. They were not viewed that way. As a matter of fact, in the crowds that he would teach, he would welcome them. Go get them. Bring them in. Let's, let's have them be part of our group. Yeah, but we, we can't be seen with these type of, type of people, the disciples might have thought. And he corrected them. And all throughout this series, you're going to see a correction where Yeshua speaks to the disciples, speaks to the crowd, and he makes a correction. And he says, I want to take that person who is viewed as lowly in the eyes of the world, and I want to show you what, what I really see in that person. And I'm going to elevate them to their proper created position. And tonight our focus is going to be on Yeshua's elevation of women. Now, we're going to be really frank about this. We're going to be very practical about this. We understand that, that men, and I'm speaking of masculine men, we have a certain natural seen value, a certain natural elevation that's inherent. It's already there. We don't, we don't generally have to fight for it the way others might. How, how does this happen? Why does it exist? Well, we can look simply at the physiology and the physicality of the male. Right, the, the structure of the male, the, the, the muscular percentage in the male body. Now, I'm speaking in generalities. Of course, don't be pointing at people making fun of them. You must not be talking about that guy. He never goes to the gym. Listen, I'm talking about worldwide, in a general sense, men are going to have more muscular development than women. Different bone structure. They're going to have different nutrition needs. So we know that there's a physical component that we can't separate from. In a culture, and I'm speaking in ancient biblical times, in a culture that revolves around agriculture, farming, hunting, building, shipping, and war... Is it any wonder that the more muscular of the species was going to be automatically elevated? They were going to have more authority. They were going to have more power. They were going to have more prominence. Because in a physical world, you're going to need that physical presence. So it's not hard to understand why the man was elevated. Then we can go a little bit deeper. Adam was created first. Then Eve was created. Well, if you read the Bible, you're going to automatically think something about that. Adam was approached by God to take responsibility for their sin. Eve wasn't approached. Adam was approached. 
giving you an inherent understanding of the authority of the husband. It's already built in. Men were called to be Levites and priests and high priests. Men were called to be the priests of their homes. Ideally, men were called in the New Testament to be elders of the congregation. Yeshua chose the inner 12 amongst his many. And those inner 12 were men. There's an inherent elevation of men. We see it. God chose kings, and when he chose them, he chose men. And we know that the history of our beloved women in the past has not been a wonderful history of treatment. We're acknowledging that. The Bible acknowledges that. There are stories in the Bible that we would point to where even the patriarchs missed the mark on this. Abraham lied about his wife Sarah to Pharaoh, devaluing her. Oh, she's my sister. Putting her in jeopardy. That wasn't a loving thing to do. Isaac learned from his father and did the same thing to Rebekah when he spoke to Abimelech. Oh, she's my sister. Not my wife. Oftentimes, our ladies were given as a reward in victories or in battles or in war. The ladies were given over as a reward, as a trophy, as in the case of King David and Saul's oldest daughter, Michal. You see, those things inherently start to build a perspective of how women are valued even if it doesn't match God's heart, it still gives an impression of the value of women. We could go on. There's other biblical examples how King Ahasuerus treated Vashti, right? Like you don't do what I say and you're gone. It's inherent in the Bible. It's there. You see it. How women were being treated in those times Now, we understand that these aren't the only times, these aren't the only stories in the Bible, but we have enough stories that we can see a little bit of a pattern. We can certainly see the dynamics of the day, right? I don't think any of us are confused about this. From time to time, we have an honored, elevated woman in the Bible, from time to time. But I don't think that's matching God's heart. Right? Just because that's what we had doesn't mean we hit the mark. Can I remind us that not every story in the Bible is an example of what to do? There are many stories in the Bible that are actually given to us as an example of what not to do. And just because we find the writers of the Bible inspired by the Holy Spirit writing about unholy things that are happening doesn't mean God wants us to do them. He wants us to be aware of them so that he might correct them. And we should note that because in today's world, people are trying to use recountings in the Bible as an argument against the Bible. As if when you read that someone was mistreated, The Bible is somehow defending the mistreatment. 
No, it's not. It's simply telling you the person was mistreated. It's not defending it. It's exposing the cruelty of sin in our world. And in tonight's time together, I'm just exposing what the cruelty and infection of sin did to our women. And when Yeshua comes on the scene, watch him do it differently. I'm speaking of many ancient examples right now, but I could, I could jump forward to maybe first century Rome, the Middle East, the time of the New Covenant writings. I learned this week in just a little bit of study that the women in the Roman Empire, the first century, they were not allowed to be involved in politics. They were not allowed to vote. They were never taught to write in school as a way of keeping them one step behind. They were always under the authority of their husbands, including the law that the husband always had the legal rights to the children, regardless of what actually happened causing the problem. The husband always had the legal rights to the children. And you can see the first century treatment of women would have impacted the people following Yeshua, which is why he had to step in and help us to understand something better. Even today, in certain Orthodox Jewish circles, do we not see our women who are put to the side, they're not permitted to study or to pray with the men? I saw it yesterday at a synagogue in my neighborhood. All the families walking to synagogue, the men go in to pray, and the women stay outside. I don't mean outside in the lobby, I mean outside. It's hot in Israel in the summer. And they're, they're relegated to stay outside. Other religions of the world, we know, especially in a religion like Islam, women are going to be treated as second-class citizens, for sure. With great restrictions on what they can say, where they can go, how they can dress, etc., that's the history of the world. The world has not always seen the creation of women the way God saw them. Now, I'm pretty sure we all agree with that. I was just laying down a little history foundation. But I do want to teach you something tonight that I think is crucial. In the Bible, about 10% of all people mentioned are women. About 10%. We know some of the famous names, Eve and Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, Leah, Yochaved, Miriam, Deborah, and then a whole bunch of Marys. Right? It's always hard to figure out which Mary we're talking about. There were four of them, at least, in the New Testament, that were all in the friendship circle. They probably had nicknames for one another. You had to. Otherwise, you're always calling out the last name, family name. But if we're paying attention, we can go on. There's Mary Magdalena, Mary the mother of Yeshua, and Mary the sister of Lazarus, and then another one that they just call the other Mary. Have you ever read that in the Bible? 
There's so many Marys, they ran out, and they just call the fourth one the other one. You see, that's not an example of how to honor women. No, I'm just kidding. That's, she's just the other Mary. But if we're not paying attention, we're going to miss something valuable. Let me read you a passage from Luke chapter 1, verse 26. We're going to put some of the scripture references on the board for you. Listen to the heart. I want you to get past the story and hear God's heart. Speaking about the birth of Yeshua. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. And the virgin's name was Miriam, or Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Miriam was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Don't be afraid, Miriam. You have found favor with God. And if you didn't know anything other than that scripture about what God feels about his beautiful creation of women, you just heard God's heart. Highly favored, favored in the sight of God. Don't be afraid. I'm communicating with you with my top level messenger angel. Remember, there are lots of angels God can use. When God wants to emphasize a point, he picks a specific angel. And in this passage, we know that when the angel comes, it's Gabriel. Not just your average angel. Gabriel is the one Routinely in scripture, that when God has a world-changing announcement, he sends Gabriel. And Miriam got Gabriel. She didn't get a junior angel. She didn't get like an angel in training. The top messenger angel, she got Gabriel. Highly favored. You found favor in the eyes of God. Of all of the ways... God was thinking about bringing himself to earth to become sacrifice and salvation for us of all of the ways. Think about this. He could have done it a million different ways. He could have just showed up, could have floated down in a cloud, could have snapped his fingers, could have said a word, could have done it endless ways. But what he chose was to come through a woman. Elevating, elevating, elevating. The women. Miriam was chosen by God to birth the Messiah. She was called highly favored, sent. Gabriel was sent with the message. And there are many other times in the New Testament you're going to find that first Yeshua honors women and elevates them. And then later the disciples start picking up on it and they start to change how they view things as well. It looks like they started to learn the lessons the further you get into the writings. As a matter of fact, it was given to the women to be the honored ones to go to the tomb first. So not only at the birth bookend, they were at the tomb bookend of his life. And then the first person he appears to, a woman, highly favored, elevating, wanting the rest of the world to see the value of his creation. 
Mark chapter 16, verse 1 says, When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go up to anoint Yeshua's body. They got to be first at the tomb. There were other disciples, other females in the larger circle of disciples. We know that. Many women in the New Testament served the Lord. Some even hosted congregational meetings in their homes. We see evidence in Scripture as well of the women not only being wives of deacons, but also being called deaconess themselves in the Greek. You'll see that in Romans chapter 16 with Phoebe is a great example of that, where it doesn't just say there's a deacon and his wife. In Romans 16, it actually says the deaconess Phoebe alone. There was no husband right there. The elevation. And women were seen by God as hard workers, They weren't just serving the men food all of the time. I don't know what your mental picture is, but that's not all they were doing. I love it when my wife serves me food. Don't get me wrong. I married a chef, so it goes well. We have our roles. She cooks it. I eat it. We know our roles. Very clear. Romans chapter 16, verse 12 says this. Already having mentioned Priscilla, by the way, who was very honored by Paul, Romans 16, 12 says, greet Trophina and Trophosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Hard, they work hard. They're being praised for working hard. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. You see the apostles, they're getting it now. They're honoring the lady disciples, the followers, the workers, the hosts, the leaders. There's no question that Yeshua elevated women. He valued them in a time where the culture did not. And that really becomes the lesson. Yeshua is going to do things that the culture is not. And he's going to correct his followers in a way that the culture is tempting us to go the other way. He valued them. He called them to their God-created destinies as he does today. He included women in his growing discipleship groups. He inspired them to serve and host and more. Now the Bible, and therefore Christianity, and by nature God himself, can be greatly misunderstood. I mentioned that before, and I just want to say it one more time. Please do not misinterpret the Bible as supporting persecution, or devaluing people just because it's written in one of the stories. God uses the Bible and stories to expose what is wrong. He's not glorifying it. Someone asked me recently, how do you and your family with children decipher between which movies and shows and entertainment you will allow your children to be part of? How do you know? And one of the key things for me is that we see a clear line 
that we only glorify those things worthy of being glorified. We don't glorify things God has called sin. And that's how we distinguish between something. The Bible is full of evil things, so I can't pretend my kids can never see evil things. But what I can make sure is that when my kids see something evil, we call it evil. And when my kids see something sinful, we call it sinful. And when my kids see something that breaks the commandments of God, we say, that broke the commandments of God. We don't pretend that it's okay. And that's how we differentiate. And that's how we differentiate in the word of God. We don't misunderstand, we don't misinterpret the theology because of a story that was written. When in fact, it's just exposing sin. But in his elevation of women, God did something that we as humanity really struggle with. He fixed something without breaking something else in a way that only he can do. Say, Pastor Chad, what are you talking about? God is remarkable that he was able to elevate women without diminishing other groups, other people's roles. Our world fails in this regard. If you've seen the news lately, we all see injustices in the world. Particular groups are being mistreated and we want to rush in to help and correct the wrong and that's a good motive. The Bible says we should do that. We should seek to help. The challenge is in the rush to help the persecuted, we end up attacking the group who was doing wrong. And so we might have elevated one, but now we push down the other. But God was able to do it in a different way. He was able to elevate the women without diminishing the role of the men. Has the world been able to do that? Mm -mm. The, The world has not been able to do that. As a matter of fact, I might even point out that I think the enemy has been behind it in emasculating men. I think we saw the elevation of the woman, which was good, but where the world fails is in the elevation of the women and the value of women, we have diminished the value of men. Watch a movie, watch a TV show, read a book, play a video game, do anything connected with modern culture and you will see the man is the buffoon who can't do anything right. The father has no place to lead his home. There's a secret club of women behind the scenes because the men are no longer capable. You know what I mean? Like this idea, this perspective, this message that's being put out. And unfortunately what's happened is as we've elevated the women, we've failed because we've diminished the men. Not God, not what Yeshua did. When Yeshua was able to elevate the women, he was able to elevate other groups all at the same time. Next week I'm going to be talking about children. Watch, watch what God does for the children. You see, he didn't elevate women and put down the men and put down the children and put down the prisoner. And put, no. Yeshua just, he brought them all up. 
Why? Because God is not looking at their temporary presentation. He's looking at their eternal destiny. And he's saying, but if you see in them what I see in them, you would treat them as a prince and a princess the way I do. Because they are sons and daughters of the king. We have failed in society at this. We're not very balanced. We go in to help one group and we've turned another group to be evil. And so we never can actually bring balance to anything because there's always a scapegoat. There's always someone else to blame. Instead of focusing on what needs to be blamed, which is sin. You see, we don't want to call it sin. That's the problem. We're afraid today to call anything sin. To tell anybody there's a line that God drew, you crossed over the line, that's sin. We're so afraid in today's world to say anything in a clear way that is sin. We're going to tiptoe around it. We're going to navigate around it. We're going to use a different word. Listen, if you will go back in the Bible and read Yeshua's sermons, Peter's sermons, Paul's sermons, the writings to Timothy, writings to Titus, when they preach the gospel, it starts with one word, repent. You can't start with the message of repentance without understanding that sin has to be dealt with. And until we start dealing with sin in our life and in the life of others that we share with, All we're going to do is we're going to elevate one group and push down the others. Because we're using a scapegoat. We're blaming someone. Well, those people are persecuted, so let's attack this group. Because they were the ones who persecuted. Well, well, now they're honored, and they're attacking another group. Well, let's put them down, and let's elevate them. Let's focus on them for a while. And there'll never be unity and balance that way. Not until sin is dealt with. Because it's sin It's Satan. It's demonic forces that are pushing people's value down. What have I taught you over the last year so many times? That God is the great destiny provider and Satan is the destiny preventer. That's why he tells you you're not good enough. You'll never be good enough. God cannot love you the way you are. He can't use you the way you are. That's Satan pushing down. The whole time Yeshua's going, I love you already. Nothing you need to do. You're already a son and daughter of the king. Relax. Live in my love. Let my spirit flow through you. He's just elevating. Let me give you our final scripture tonight to hammer home this point. Turn in your Bibles, your devices to John chapter 6. I want to prove to you I want to prove to you that this is not just a thought I had. It's a pattern and an attribute of God. In John chapter 6, verse 9, there are thousands of people who need to be fed. The disciples can't feed them. They don't have any food. They figure out somebody has a few loaves and a few fish. That's what they figure out. But watch what happens. Verse 9, they said, here is a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? And by the way, the so many was 5,000 besides women and children. Again, that tells you how the society viewed women and children, to my very point. But we need to add, because we value women and children, we add the numbers back in like they should be added in. It wasn't just 5,000. Add women and children from Israelis, from Jewish people, how big the families get. 
That's 10, 15, 20, 25, 30,000 people that they have to feed on, on five loaves and two fish. And Yeshua said, have the people sit down. There was plenty of grass in that place and they sat down. About 5,000 men were there. Some of your Bibles say besides women and children. Yeshua then took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were seated as much as they wanted. He did the same with the fish. Everybody ate until they were full. And when they had all eaten enough, he said to the disciples, gather the pieces that are left over. Let nothing be wasted. So they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the pieces of the five barley loaves left over by those who had eaten. You see, God doesn't play the same game we play. God doesn't elevate one by pushing the other one down. God doesn't elevate one by diminishing another. As a matter of fact, God never diminishes. Which is why when Yeshua reaches for the challah and he tears it off and he gives it to you, the challah is still full. And when he takes a fish and cuts it in half and he gives it to you and you eat the fish and you look back at the fish and the fish is still whole. You can keep taking from God and he never runs out. He doesn't have a a limited measure of love. He doesn't have a a limited measure of seats in his house. He never diminishes, which is why he can elevate every group at the same time without diminishing another. It's a pattern. It's an attribute. It's part of the creator's makeup that he can lift up without pushing someone else down. And it's a great lesson I think we need to learn. There are, there are glimpses of it in our life. We, parents get a glimpse of it. Because when you have multiple children, you have to figure this out. How do I elevate all of them? Because I love all of them equally. As a matter of fact, in my household, they all think they're my favorite. And it's true. I tell them all, you're my favorite. But I tell them all in front of each other. And then let them argue about it. We get a glimpse of it, how to do it. Yeshua has the power to expand without diminishing. In God's eyes, friends, hear me on this. In God's eyes, everyone matters. Everyone's valuable. Everyone needs to be elevated. Everyone needs to be revered and honored the way the creator made them. Everyone matters in God's eyes. Everyone has a created destiny and a purpose. God can elevate the women without diminishing the role of the men. Worship team, you can come on out. God can elevate one race. Hear me on this, current events. God can elevate one race without diminishing another. And until we get this, we're just going to keep fighting. Because sin is present. God can take Joseph out of the dungeon and elevate him without diminishing Pharaoh, but using Pharaoh for his purposes. God can take Esther out of the role of being the orphan and put her in a palace as queen without diminishing the role of Mordecai or diminishing the role of King Ahasuerus. God alone has the power to elevate. And tonight, I just wanted to remind you that God elevates women in a way that culture never has.
And as Yeshua came to earth, you saw it start to change. He showed them the way, and then the disciples started picking up on it. It starts to show up in their lives. It starts to show up in the writings the further and further you get into the epistles. Everyone matters. God does not diminish. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Father, we honor you tonight. We honor the things that you can do that no one else seems to be able to do. We want to speak a blessing over all of our women tonight. Our wives, mothers, daughters, our servants of the house, our teachers, those on our leadership team, that you would richly bless our ladies tonight. That they would all be that they would all be women of valor. That they would all be viewed the way Romans saw them as blessed are these women for their hard work in the kingdom. And we're not talking about erasing roles and definitions. What we're talking about is honoring the creation. So thank you, Lord, for helping us do that tonight. And I just want to pray for anybody in the house that has felt devalued. I just want to speak a prophetic word over you. If you've ever felt devalued, put down, or less than, if you've ever felt you weren't good enough, or God would never use someone like you, I just want to give you a prophetic word straight from the throne room of heaven today. The voice you heard was that of the devil. That was not the voice of your father. Because your father, ladies, created you to sit on thrones. To help rule and reign in the age to come. And we at King of Kings, the men at King of Kings want to honor you tonight. And say thank you. Thank you for being part of this family. We would not be a healthy congregation without you.